Amen, amen. Hey, uh, if you got a Bible, go on and open up to the book of Micah. That's where we'll be here in just a minute. But um, just f- <laughs> feel burden of the Lord just to share uh, something that, it's been on my heart uh, lately since uh, Daniel trusted in Jesus three years ago, or th- three years ago, three uh, three weeks ago. Uh, there's this cer- there's a certain amount of uh, spiritual burden, right, that you almost think is lifted. Both my children have trusted in Jesus. Like, whew, okay, got it, done. But uh, what I've, what we've actually experienced, Kelly and I, is the opposite of that. Like more of a heaviness, spiritual heaviness, to realize now we have two little disciples in our home that we have to make. God's called us to invest in them spiritually and to teach them God's word. And so, um, if anything, the spiritual heaviness has gotten larger at our, at our house. And so parents never forget just because they've been dunked, just because they've, just because they've prayed a prayer and got dunked that it's over. Um, our, our task is just beginning as we make disciples, uh, in our home. And so, um, we started, uh, this study actually back last year, Return, the Minor Prophets. Uh, we started walking through the last 12 books of the Old Testament, which are these prophetic books, um, that, that they call them minor, not because they're in, unimportant, but because they're, um, they're short. That's literally why we call them the Minor Prophets. And so we went through back February of last year, we went through the first four of those. Um, so now this February, we're going through the next four. And so last week we looked at the book of Jonah and saw, uh, what happens when a prophet, uh, chooses to be disobedient and uh, just some incredible, incredible truths, uh, from my own life last week. But this week we're going to look at Jonah. I mean, uh, we did that last week, Micah, we'll look at Micah and, uh, what God's laid on my heart today is the reminder that our God is a God who remembers his promises. And so let me read Micah one, one through seven. Um, I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to pray again, just asking God's blessing over our time, and then we'll dive in to the text. This is what uh, Micah 1, 1, 7, 1 through 7 says. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morishite, what he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah. Listen, all you peoples. Pay attention. Earth and everyone in it. The Lord God will be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is leaving his place and coming down to trample the heights of the earth. The mountains will melt beneath him. The valleys will split apart like wax near a fire, like water cascading down a mountainside. All of this will happen because of Jacob's rebellion and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the rebellion of Jacob? Isn't it Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Isn't it Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of ruins and the countryside a planting area for a vineyard. I will roll her stones into the valley and expose her foundations. All her carved images will be smashed to pieces. All her wages will be burned in the fire and I will destroy all her idols. Since she collected the wages of a prostitute, they will be used again for a prostitute. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. God, we ask today... Uh, for you to teach us to know you. God, more more than anything else today, God, let us see your character shine forth from the book of Micah. As we leave this place, God, may we be changed in a little bit. Uh, we ask that you teach us to know you today and that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So Micah comes onto the scene in a period of time in which uh, Israel has actually become two nations. It's no longer one united kingdom. It's actually become two. And so for some of you that may not be as familiar with biblical history, I wanted to walk through that so that you understand where, if you, you know, if you've heard some of the stories, I wanted to put them in order for you. Okay. So back in Genesis 12, about 12 through 17, we meet a guy named Abram. God changes his name to Abraham, which you may be more familiar with. And God calls Abraham out from his family to to leave there and to go to a land of Canaan. He says, I'm going to make you to be a blessing to all the nations. That happens in Genesis 12 through 17 with Abraham. And then God, uh, Abraham's family, they grow and they grow and they grow. And, and this land that God promised to Abram was the land of Canaan. And they finally get to kind of live there for a little bit. And the family's growing and growing, but then a famine strikes and there's nowhere for them to go. So they wind up going to Egypt because Egypt was the place where food was. And so they go to Egypt and for several generations, they enjoy the, the prosperity of living there in Egypt. However, a new Pharaoh comes into power. And everything changes for them and they become enslaved. And then God uses a man named Moses to lead God's people with his miraculous power and leadership to lead them out of Egypt and back to the land that he had promised to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And so Moses leads the people out, but because of Moses' disobedience, he has to stop before he enters the promised land. And it's his disciple Joshua that gets to lead God's people over the river and into the promised land, not to grandmother's house we go. Sorry, over the river, through the woods. All right, yeah. So, but it's Joshua who does that and they conquer the entire land of Canaan. And then what happens, they begin to set up a government. They, they, they appoint these judges who begin to rule over Israel. They become starting to look more like a nation, but however, they want a king. And so what happens is that God calls from among them a man named Saul to begin to be their king and he's a doofus. And so he doesn't last long and God calls a man named David to step into the throne. And so David leads the people, the, the, the nation of Israel, to become this powerful, mighty nation among the nations, among all the other nations. And then David's son, Solomon, leads Israel into a time of, of prosperity where they have money and jewels and like Israel's the place to live. But as Solomon begins to hand off the throne to his son, because of his own disobedience to God through time, the entire nation doesn't trust Solomon's son. And so they appoint their own king. And it's from Solomon's son that everything begins to change. And we have this one united nation of Israel that's, that's pursuing God for the most part that then becomes two separate nations. And that's the area, that's kind of the, that time period lasts a pretty good while. And that's the period of time in which, uh, in which Micah's coming to speak. During this divided kingdom time, we got kings in the north and kings in the south. You had a northern kingdom that retained the name Israel, and you had a southern kingdom that becomes known as Judah. And these two nations didn't always get along, which is crazy as you read the story. Many of the prophets that we find, some of them spoke to the northern kingdom, some spoke to the southern kingdom. But as we saw in just the few verses I read at the very beginning, who's Micah speaking to? Well, let's look at it. The word of the Lord came to Micah. What he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem. And I know if you don't have time to flip to your little maps in the back of your Bible, I'll tell you, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so this is the place where the king uh, of Israel uh, lived. This is where the, the main hub of the government, this is where everything happened. And then Jerusalem remains the capital of the southern kingdom. 
These two cities stood as a representation of the whole. So as Micah begins to call out Samaria and Jerusalem, he's not just speaking of the kingdoms or the cities. He's speaking of the kingdoms. He's speaking of the people who make up these nations. And so what I found is we're going to try to take the whole book of Micah in one sitting and to just walk through what are the, what is the major, I saw two key themes as I studied through it. I would encourage you to read through Micah. There's seven chapters, seven days in a week. Just throwing it out there, all right? So maybe something for you to read this week. You may find some different themes. I find two key themes that run through the book from beginning to end, and then one that's presented right at the end. Those are going to kind of serve our, as our mile markers. So I know some of you are type A, and you're wait, you're Heath, you're talked a lot. Where's point number one? Here it is, type A, folks. The progression of sin. It's the first thing that Micah begins to see, to speak about. We see several sins that are rampant in the kingdoms. The first one he introduces us to is the sin of idolatry. Micah says this in verses 6 and 7, Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of ruins and the countryside, a planting area for a vineyard. I'm going to roll her stones into the valley and expose her foundations. And listen, all her carved images will be smashed to pieces. All her wages will be burned in the fire and I will destroy all her idols. Listen, those two terms, carved images and idols, if you're, a good, if, you, if you're reading the Bible from beginning to end, you're going to be carried all the way back to the book of Exodus in which Moses, remember this part, right? I was probably standing about right here, where Moses meets with God and he brings the laws that God has told them to stick to. One of the biggest ones was have no other gods before me. Second only to don't make for yourselves carved images. And here we have, I mean, it's several generations later, but we're seeing that go on. You read the books of First and Second Kings, they tell the story of all that the nation has always been dabbling in idol worship, calling on God along, alongside other gods just to hedge their bets. Because they, they believed in God, but they also thought, well, what if he's asleep one day? Maybe we should have a couple other gods just to catch up. It's like a little side piece, God, okay? And we see more sins mentioned after this. Micah 2, 1 through 3. Woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. At morning light, they accomplish it because the power is in their hands. They covet fields and seize them. They take houses. They deprive a man of his home, a person of his inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am now planning a disaster against this nation. You cannot free your necks from it. Then you will not walk so proudly because it will be an evil time. So what is he saying? He says, man, the, the, the nations, not only are you, are you, uh, are there carved images and, and are there idols in this place, but there's also, you're taking one another's land. You see a land and you just seize it from you. You just take it. You're depriving a man of his family's home, a person of their inheritance. Listen, coveting also on the list of laws that Moses came down with. It's just a big deal that the very things that God told them to do, the top 10 list, you remember David Letterman, the top 10 list of things that God told them not to do, they're breaking now. Generations later, they're guilty of some sort of large, it's not just one person who's doing this. And as we keep reading through, it gets worse. Micah 2, 6. Quit their preaching, they preach. They should not preach these things. Shame will not overtake us. You know what that means? They didn't want the truth. You have people doing sinful things, but they didn't want their sins pointed out. It says, quit your preaching. Micah goes on in verse 11. I'm not going to read it, but you can read it for yourself. He says, they would prefer someone who utters empty lies. He said, you can find a guy who preaches empty lies. That's the preacher for them. But the worst of it, maybe, 
was that these sins climbed even to the spiritual leaders of the nation. Micah calls out priests and prophets for their greed. Listen to Micah 3.5 and then some other verses after that. This is what the Lord says concerning the prophets who lead my people astray. The prophets were supposed to lead people to God. They're leading people astray. Proclaim peace when they have food to sink their teeth into, but they declare war against the one who puts nothing in their mouths. Skip down to verse 9. Listen to this, leaders of the house of Jacob. You rulers, this is all sarcasm, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who abhor justice and pervert everything that is right, who build Zion and with bloodshed and Jerusalem with injustice. Her leaders issue rulings for a bribe. Her priests teach for payment and her prophets practice divination for silver. Yet they lean on the Lord saying, isn't the Lord among us? No disaster will overtake us. Micah says the priests and the prophets were taking bribes. You know what that means? Yeah, I'll prophesy for you. Let me hold 50. Like if you can Venmo me about 20 bucks, I'll pray for you. That's what we do here at East. I'm just kidding. We don't. You can need prayer. It's free. Okay. It's free. But like, this is what, this is what's going on. Their greed was affecting their preaching. Did you see? He says they proclaim peace when they got food, but at the moment that they get hungry, they're declaring war against somebody. The prophets were, were leading the people astray. Some serious greed and love of stuff. What Micah's helping us see is that they were in blatant rebellion against the God who created them and called them as a people all the way back here in Genesis 12 through 17. That God had called them as a people and rescued them all from there, all the way over there. God had rescued them time and time again from the oppression of others. But what are they doing? They're oppressing one another. And as I thought, I was like, man, what an awful place. Good thing we don't live in Judah and Israel anymore. But then I also thought, man, what a perfect picture of the human heart and the problem of sin. Because see, I, what, I, what I'm going to make the argument in the next five minutes, the message is longer than that, but the next five minutes is what we're going to talk about, is that this is not an Israel issue. This is not a Judah issue that's going on here. This is a human issue. Idolatry leads to the sins of the people, and eventually the sins of the people lead to those who are supposed to be leading the people spiritually, and it's a mess. If you call Lindsay Lane East home, I'm talking to you for a minute. This is why we must guard our priorities. Our own sins of idolatry, because churches that get off mission and find themselves in disobedient places didn't get there overnight. I know we watch TV, and there's a, there's a preacher... Right. Oh, y'all know these preachers. He's he's up. He's he's got uh, these greedy pastors and church leaders driving in their private jets, gold bling around their neck, riding in limos all over the country, begging people for more and more money. People are just sending them checks left and right, and we think, wow, that's not a church. That's a cult. Ding ding ding! You nailed it. It is a cult. But listen, it didn't start with a corrupt pastor. It started with wrong priorities. The church took their focus off the main thing. The people's eyes got pulled away from Christ first and foremost to some other thing. You see, the real appeal of the ancient false gods was not how cool they were. Like you didn't worship these false gods. The the Israelites weren't pulled away to these false gods because their statues looked cool. 
They weren't pulled away because, hey, that's a neat story. Why were they pulled away? They were pulled away by what these false gods promised those who worshipped them. Hear me say that. The appeal of the ancient false gods was that those was what those gods promised those who worshiped them. And is that not our issue today? It's Valentine's Day. Almost two days. Let's talk about it. We give ourselves to a relationship. Why? Because of the promise of love and companionship. We give ourselves to our work because of the promise of value and prestige or at the minimum, a healthy bank account. We sacrifice our own children's spiritual growth on the altars of God's promising all kinds of things to them that will never pan out like we had hoped nor benefit them as much as solid, consistent, biblical discipleship would. We want to be younger. We want to be more beautiful. We want to be more athletic. We want to be more muscular. We want to, and, we, and all the while, we sacrifice ourselves on these altars because they draw our eye away from the goodness of God and the perfection of Jesus Christ. You see, churches that have become cult meetings first started off simply by this, a shift in their priorities. Tiny. A shift in the priorities among their people. Something captured the heart of the church more than God for just a season, and that was all it took. And then, just like Israel and Judah, everyone in the church began to slip into sin and it made its way all the way to the church leaders as they too bought into the lie and they eventually see themselves as deserving some sort of scarily prestigious position of being servant of God instead of being servant of God first and foremost. This is what hit me as I was studying Micah. Oftentimes, we would view idolatry as the end result of a sinful binge. Like, man, somebody to, to, to start worshiping some other God, like you got to get far from God for that to happen. Man, I don't, have, I don't have statues in my house. Like there's a lot that, that, that we would view idolatry as the capstone on a long life of sin, but actually church, it works the opposite. You see, idolatry is not the end of the, res, the end result of our rebellion. It's the door to it. Idolatry is the first step in a long road of disobedience. It's the first step. It's the door. Church, we must guard our priorities. And in doing so, fend off the sin of idolatry among us. Now, I want to be honest with you. I've been considering this in my own life. I've been asking this question since January 1. Heath, what are, how are you and your family's priorities off whack? Off kilter, out of whack. There it is. I've been considering that. And all I'm asking is for you to consider it too. If you call Lindsay Lane East Home, if you're visiting with us, I mean, it's good for you too. But if you call East Home, this is what we got to do. But as I said, Micah's main goal was not just to bombard people with a list of their sins and guilt them into a place of repentance. Instead, he speaks much more about who God is and how he is at work. If you're a note taker, we're finally there. Point number two. The plans of the Lord. You see, Micah shows that God's present plan was definitely to pour out his wrath on his people. Judgment was coming, y'all. Micah 2, 3 through 5, I'll read that. Therefore, the Lord says, I am now planning a disaster against this nation. You cannot free your necks from it. Then you will not walk so proudly because it will, it will be an evil time. In that day, 
one will take up a taunt against you and lament mournfully, saying, We are totally ruined. He measures out the allotted land of my people, how he removes it from me. He allots our fields to traitors. Therefore, there will be no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by casting lots. Here's the deal. Usually when I'm reading something, even the Bible, I've got to read it two or three times. And I know I only read that once. So if you missed it the first time, not good stuff coming. That's what Micah's saying. Okay, you can read it for yourself later and see the ins and outs. But he's saying, this isn't good. Judgment is coming. And if you know the story, it's exactly what happened. It was actually probably during Micah's lifetime, 722 B.C., that the Assyrians come in and attack the northern kingdom and they take over Samaria. And from there on, for a long period of time, Israel exists under Assyrian rule. And then long after Micah, after he's dead and gone, Judah falls to Babylon in 586 B.C., Micah actually foretells that in chapter 4. So like Micah is saying, this is judgment of God is coming, and it does. But there was more to the plan of God, and this is the beauty. As Even in the midst of disaster, even in the midst of God's judgment, there's something going on in the plan of God that we've got to acknowledge. Micah 2.12. I will indeed gather all of you, Jacob. I will collect the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in the middle of its pasture. It'll be noisy with people. You see, and as God says, yes, judgment is coming because of your sin, but I will not let my people be destroyed. My name will live on. My people will not be destroyed. God planned to retain a remnant of his people, not because of their righteousness, but for his name's sake, that his name among the nations may continue. And just like that promise, we know that this one was fulfilled. Going in, you don't have to flip over there. But in Ezra and Nehemiah, what we find is that after a period of time of living in exile in Babylon, God allows this remnant, this faithful, this, this, this crew to come back to and rebuild the city of Jerusalem that was destroyed and rebuild the temple and rebuild their faith in the God of all creation. But all through Micah, you have, you have this, you have judgment is coming, but I'm going to protect you. You will live. You will continue. These, I will not let my name die with your disobedience. But there's also this time in Micah 4 that he begins to speak about a time in the future that's a little bit different. I want to show this to you. It says in the last days, some, something greater is here. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. Peoples will stream to it. And many nations will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You see in this promise, Yes, there's rest and there's ultimate protection for God's people. That's great. But what else is happening here? Peoples will stream to the Lord's house. Peoples and many nations. What we're seeing here is that many nations are gathering among his people, wanting to learn the ways of God and walk in his paths. 
Micah wants us to rem- wants the people that he was speaking to, and I think the Holy Spirit wants us to acknowledge today. May we never lose sight of this as we read the Bible and as we live life today. Our God is not a God of one people. God is not interested in just saving people like me and you. God has, is, and has always been a God who calls those who know him not just to live for them in their homes and along their paths of life, but to take his name beyond the confines of their day-to-day and engage the nations with his good news. God will not only save a remnant, but the nations will be drawn to him. This prophecy that Michael, Micah, Michael, that's a different book, Micah, This prophecy that Micah shows here was one that was already coming true in one sense. All through the biblical story, all the way from Genesis 12 through 17, all the way through to the other side of the stage, the biblical story was that there are non-Israelites who are finding themselves following the one true God. But all of that comes to a head with this crazy Jew named Jesus in the first century. This guy who comes and he lives a perfect life and then he dies and then the story is, is that not only did he die on the cross, but our sins were placed within him and he atoned once and for all for the sins of all humanity and that God raised him up from the dead on the third day. And as that story of his atonement and his resurrection begin to spread, guess who comes to the house of the Lord? Yes, Jews, but everybody, nations. And even now, Harvest, Alabama, according to Google, is 6,500 miles from the city of Jerusalem as the crow flies, my papa would have said. Yet here we are singing praises to him as non-Israelites in 2023. The nations have come and continue to come to know him, but only when we are obedient to go and share. Man, this is, this is a story of God's people. Micah has interwoven these warnings and these accusations with moments of hope and restoration. And all of that leads to Micah 7, 18 through 20, a song of praise to God. I want this to be our praise today. Who is a God like you? Forgiving iniquity, passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. You see, Micah's reminding the people, listen, I don't like to say this, but judgment's coming. Hard days are coming. Difficulties are ahead of us as a people. But listen, we can have peace. It's point number three, the peace of the people. There is peace for God's people. Micah seems to point to two sources for this. The first, he seems to be saying, we can, they and we, I believe, can find peace in God's character. If you've been here through even just this week and last week, but especially if you were here last February, and some of you were, what you'll find, what you what you probably notice as I read through this is that some of this terminology in these three verses sounds familiar. It's because most of the minor prophets and most of the biblical authors 
quote the same verse from the Old Testament. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Last week, we saw Jonah use that sarcastically to say, God, I knew you were going to forgive him. Man, I hate those people. I knew you were going to forgive them. But here we see Micah pointing out God's willingness to forgive, his faithful love, and his compassion. And listen, those are things that we know about God. Like, I, I didn't say those things and you go, I didn't know God was compassionate. That's cool. Like, probably not. But listen, as I've been studying these minor prophets, I've been writing this sermon series for our three campuses. I'm shocked at how many times this quote keeps coming up. It seems that these verses, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, I encourage you to go back and look at those this week. It seems that those verses were so interwoven into the prayer life and the personal engagements of God's people during this time that it just oozed out. And so I, I was drawn to the question, yes, I know those things are true about God, but when is the last time I prayed those things? Like, when is the last time I thanked God as Micah does? When is the last time my prayer life looked like Micah 7, 18 through 20? When is the last time that this quote, that, that God, is, God, is, God is, has faithful love and he's compassion, slow to anger? When is the last time that that quote came out of my mouth in a spiritual conversation to one of you? Listen, we need to know the attributes of God and we need to remind ourselves and one another of these things. We're doing a, uh, we're walking through a leadership group right now on Wednesday nights. I am uh, trying to kind of write a curriculum for what does it look like for, for leaders at Lindsay Lane East to go deeper into God's word and begin to wrestle with some deep things. And so we're kind of writing that curriculum as we go. We've, we've uh, just kind of starting with a really small group to test this curriculum as we write it this semester. But one of the things that we talk about in that group is that the attributes of God and so many things of God's word are a lot like tools in a tool chest. Now, if you were to come to my house today, give me a heads up so we can run the vacuum. Um, but if you were to come to my house today and you were to go out to my tool chest, you may or may not find a Phillips head screwdriver with the other screwdrivers. It may be under my saw. It may be randomly in the garbage can that I keep in my garage. It may be in my car, okay? But my father-in-law's here. You go in his garage, and he's got he's got these tall drawer things. I don't know, it's a big metal chest. And the top four drawers of one are like labeled wrenches. And the top one is all standard, and they're all in there. You pull the bottom one, and it's all metric ones. And then there may be some where he goes, I don't know what that is, but I need to hang on to it in case I need it one day, right? Like there's just these random. And then you got the screwdrivers. You got the, you got the Phillips head. You got the flat heads. You got Torx heads. You got nut drivers. You got all this stuff. And everything is in there. You know why? So that when he goes to it, he knows where to find it when he needs it. Now here's the beauty of who God is. Here's the beauty of who God is. And it's why one of our goals for 2023 is to dive deep into who God is. We know the attributes of God. We know that God is compassionate. We know that God is forgiving. We know that God has faithful love. But when you need it, do you know where it is? When everything hits the fan, do you know that it's logged away? Do you know Do you know how to go find that tool that you need? When you feel lost and alone and you feel unlovely, 
Do you know that in the heat of that moment that you'll be reminded of God's faithful love? When your neighbor keeps frustrating the hound out of you and you need in that moment to be reminded that we serve a compassionate God that loves your neighbor even when you don't sometimes, do you think you can find it when everything in your health and your, and your wealth and your house and everything else begins to crumble around you? Do you know the attributes of God well enough that you can go to the drawer, you can open it up, and you can be reminded that God is a good God? We know the attributes of God. But are we living them? Are we logging them away? Do we have scripture tied to those? Do we, do we understand so that even in the heat of the moment, we can experience this peace that Micah's talking about here that comes from knowing the character of God? You see how this, this brings peace even to a people who are about to go through some really difficult times. And do you see how it can bring you peace? As you face the difficulties of life, we have to teach these things to ourselves so that when we find ourselves in tough spots, the truths are readily available and God will prove himself faithful. But listen, Micah goes on to show one more reason that they could have peace. They could know and experience peace, not just because of God's character, listen, but because of his promises. Micah 7 verse 20 says, you will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. Look, Micah's sitting way over here in the storyline and he says, God, remember what you said? Remember what you promised? I'm not going to go over there, but I'd like to run over there, but I'll trip and fall and embarrass myself. But Micah's saying, God, do you remember what you said way back then? You remember what you promised Abraham? How we would be a blessing to all nations and you would bless us and that you would continue to use us as a mouthpiece for your name among the nations. Do you remember that? I know you do. Be faithful today. Because all the way back there, God promised to be with Abraham and to bless his family and to make him a blessing to all the nations. And then he made the same promise to his son Isaac and then to his son Jacob, whom God renamed Israel. And the 12 sons that he had became the 12 tribes of Israel much later. And the people could cling to these promises in faith that God would continue to use this family and those they reached for his purposes. And the coolest thing is, is that it's from this family line that Jesus would later come as the ultimate ultimate fulfillment of the blessing to all nations promise that God had made all the way back in Genesis 12 through 17. Jesus was the new Abraham. He was the new Isaac. He was the new Jacob, the new Israel. He walked in perfection like no one ever before or after could pull off. And he would eventually take on the sins of all humanity so that whether we are Jews, Greeks, Americans, or any other nationality, we could be saved from our sin. And listen, church, just as Micah is clinging to promises that God made to Abraham, we have promises too that we can find peace in today. I want to share with you one of those verse, one of those sections of Scripture for me. John six thirty five through 40. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I am the bread of life. 
No one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you don't believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, church, just as Israel believed God for the promises he made to Abraham, we can believe God for the promises that he makes throughout his Bible, throughout his word, especially those made to, from Jesus to his disciples. If we believe in Jesus, we will receive an eternal life that begins at our conversion and lasts forever. So often we have this misconception that my eternal life begins when I die. My, my son's eternal life does not begin when he breathes his last. His eternal life began the moment he called on the name of the Lord to save him. A new life right here on this earth, here and now. So the book of Micah, it covers a lot of ground, but I hope that you're seeing the theme of Micah, that, that yes, God's going to bring judgment on his people, and yes, God, God, God hates sin. But yet, even in the midst of that, God has a plan, and that knowing that plan and knowing his promises and knowing his character can bring us peace. I'm going to offer three things to you. As we sing that, we're going to sing one more song here in just a minute. I'm going to ask you three questions just to wrestle with from the book of Micah. Here's the first one. How are your priorities? Listen, where there is something out of whack in our lives, there is almost most often idolatry. Something drawing our eye away from Jesus. Question two to wrestle with. Are you acknowledging God's hand at work in your life now? I know we all had different lives this week. We all experienced different things. Some of us going through tough times. Some of us going through easy peasy times. We got to ask the question though. Is God at work though? You could say yes or amen. That would have worked great there. He is. And we don't always see it, Right? We don't always see it, but what do we do? We go back to the drawer and we open the drawer and we're reminded that God has never leaves us nor forsakes us and that God is always with us. Are you acknowledging God's hand at work in your life right now? And number three, are you leaning on God for your peace through his character and his promises? Now listen, I want to voice a prayer. Uh, and after I pray, we're going to stand and sing. Um, if you need to spend this song time in prayer, you can do that. If you need, that's how you need to respond to the message today, to, to voice a prayer to God, as Micah did in those last three verses. I'd encourage you to get that out and read that to God if you want. Uh, that would be a really cool prayer to pray to the Lord today. Um, if you need to sing in response to the message today, you're welcome to do that. It's a beautiful song we're going to sing. But as always, I'm going to stand at the back just to help you with anything that God may have laid on your heart, any next step that you might need to take, any questions you have, I'm going to be at the back to your left side of the sound booth. would love to talk with you and help you wrestle with that, okay? I'm going to say a prayer, and after I pray, 
will stand and respond. Father God, we come to you, God, thanking you for who you are, and God, just for the, um, God, the the attributes that you showed us, God, your characteristics, your your, your beauty, and God, um, I am overwhelmed, God, because I know that in my dip, most difficult days, God, where we faced health stuff, we faced family issues, God, um, you were there with me. God, I've walked with families here at East the same way, God. And in those difficult days, God, let your spirit remind us of those things that, God, that hopefully we've logged away in our mind. And, God, um, God, I pray that the people of Lindsay Lane East, God, maybe as the world around us continues to seemingly burn and, uh, God, just head down a path of disobedience to you. And, God, as churches uh, around maybe choose uh, to, to not be as faithful to the word of God. May Lindsay Lane East be a beacon, God, that is centered in this community on your word and God on nothing else. God, that this would be a safe place for those in our community who are wrestling and asking questions, God, that they would always feel welcome and loved here. God, uh, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the true one, first, top priority in our lives. God, help us today to wrestle with the things of Micah begin to live our lives different because of what we've heard. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Guys, I'll stand and say.